should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Do I sound excited? I am excited. You do sound excited <laughs> or manic. <laughs> it's the second week of January. The first week I was still dull. I was still getting over that cold that everybody else was uh, impacted or affected by or spreading, I think is the right word, spreading their germs around and getting everybody else sick. I hadn't been sick like that in quite a long time. I was sick for like a month or something, it felt like, but I couldn't breathe out of my nose. It was gross. So I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be here in 2017. I welcome 2017 and I'm ready for it. Thank you so much for tuning in to Progressive Voices, to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. It's Tuesday, so it's my favorite day of the week because John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us co-hosting. John, thanks so much for returning. <laughs> Glad to be here. I'm ready to tackle 2017 with you. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people are in the same mentality of, you know, fighting back and all this stuff um, as we're freaking out over President-elect Donald Trump. I still get to say President-elect because he hasn't been inaugurated and we're counting down the days. Some My Uber driver the other day said she was counting down the days until the end of civilization. <laughs> <laughs> A nuclear war. I've heard that. I've heard that. Many people are afraid of uh, that potential. But let's stay realistic. Let's just stay with what's actually happening. And so we're going to do something a little bit different uh, when we start the show. I'm going to toss to John, who's always going to be giving you just kind of an update of what's going on out there, such as news. So, John, you ready to give this a try? Sure. Let's tackle it. I think uh, folks might have seen the news that Secretary of State John Kerry apologized for decades of uh, past treatment of LGBTQ folks at, by the State Department. Um, certainly the State Department wasn't the only organization to do such things as, uh, you know, force people to exit their jobs or not even hire them in the first place if they were LGBTQ. But uh, he, he apologized. The, the State Department officially apologized for it. Uh, they said this discrimination stretched all the way back to the 1940s. So I suspect back in the 19. 20s, it wasn't particularly wonderful to be there either, but uh, um, nonetheless, that happened. Also, the big news this week, of course, is the confirmation hearings taking place with President-elect Donald Trump's cabinet. Um, today, uh, Senator Jeff Sessions is being, uh, is being heard in the hearings, and I believe it takes place in the Senate, or the Senate hearings, and uh, uh, there's a lot of criticism from folks who are worried about uh, uh, conflicts of interest because they're really rushing through these these uh, hearings without doing all the vetting that you normally have to do. And of course, a lot of these folks are billionaires with lots of business interests. So there's a lot really that needs to be checked out and uh, they're not doing that. 
Um, this morning, just Senator Jeff Sessions was being heard. He's been accused of racist behavior. He, uh, his big quote is, I guess, that he abhors the Klan. So, you know, set the bar high. Uh, Senator Cory Booker, he's a Democrat from New Jersey, he is taking the unprecedented action of testifying against Sessions. So I think it's the first time a sitting U.S. senator will testify against a sitting U.S. senator for a, uh, a cabinet position. And one other item, I don't know if you saw it, but it also relates to the whole cabinet matter. Andrew Puzder, or Puzder, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, he's a labor secretary nominee. Uh, a survey out uh, today shows that two-thirds of the female employees at the restaurants owned by Mr. – or not owned by him, but run by him uh, – experienced sexual harassment at work. So definitely want to rush those hearings through. <laughs> oh, geez. Thank you so much for giving us the rundown. I'm surprised, though, you didn't mention Meryl Streep. I mean, people are still talking about Meryl Streep and her Golden Globe acceptance speech. It kind of talked about it yesterday. What did you think of it? Um, I, I think that's, uh, I, I can't say bold, you know, because I think that other than Meryl Streep, there are many other people in high positions who've criticized President-elect Donald Trump since the get-go, since, you know, sure. the announcement of his campaign. And I, and I suspect that throughout the year term, <laughs> I don't even know if he's going to make it past this year or next year. Uh, we'll We're taking it one day at a time. We are seriously taking it one day at a time. I, I you know, I, I, I suspect that we'll have more criticisms from even people who aren't accepting such an award, but people who, you know, have been in government for a long time or have held high positions, for example, or well-respected people or, or Americans or politicians, whoever, right? High-ranking military officials even. We'll sure. wait to see. I mean, I, I was not surprised that she said something because, of course, she's Meryl Streep. She's spoken out in the past. Uh, we all know her politics. She was a very strong Hillary Clinton supporter. Um what and of course she's speaking to a room full of people who are mostly you know like-minded you know yeah Mel Gibson was in the audience but nonetheless there are a lot of Democrats and liberals in that audience yeah um, I was surprised that her entire speech was about it so she, clearly she wanted to grab this moment and use it for what it was worth um, and I think she did that. Yes. Uh, most The most embarrassing, I think, response to her acceptance speech was by President-elect Donald Trump himself calling her a mediocre actress. Yeah, uh, yeah. just the most celebrated actress of our time. Yeah, exactly. Mediocre. All right. Well, you know, let's let's uh, leave the negative. I think that we should <laughs> we should begin the new year. Officially, the Michelle Miao show is kicking off this week. We should begin with a much positive, um, you know, discussion, I feel like. And so... While we're thinking about doomsday, as some of you have been calling it, when President-elect Donald Trump will be inaugurated, I think we should go back and celebrate what I consider to be the best times of America, especially when it comes to LGBTQ rights. And so let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is a nationally recognized LGBT and civil rights activist who has served as co-chair of the National LGBT Leadership Council for President Obama, or I should say Obama for America, when uh, he ran his presidential campaign in 2008. Um, he has served on numerous national, regional, and local boards and owns the San Diego LGBT Weekly um, 
a, a, a magazine. I, I think I'm, I'm going to call it a magazine and or a media company. Um, and also served as a San Diego City Commissioner. You get the point. He's pretty awesome. He's amazing. Let's welcome Stamp Corbin to the show. Stamp, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I, uh, I thought it would be so awesome to kind of get our audience thinking positively. I mean, that's the most important thing to do while we're in crisis mode is to not lock down in depression, but, you know, kind of give ourselves and empower ourselves with, with something positive. And I read your article the other day that was featured in LGBT uh, Weekly, and you did this uh, incredible love letter to President Obama, and it kind of brought me back to, you know, what seemed like a romantic period for LGBTQ rights. I would agree with you totally. I mean, you know, we have the opportunity right now to sort of uh, take a look back and have perspective. And, you know, what I found, you know, just so disheartening is the mainstream media seems to act as if what Obama and his administration accomplished for LGBT rights is some sort of footnote in his legacy. And I think that that is going to be um, looked upon in 20 years as, like, where were, what was the media thinking? Um, obviously, when Truman, Truman's legacy is the integration of, uh, or one of the main parts of his legacy is the integration of the armed forces for African Americans. I'm sure at the time when they listed Truman's accomplishments as he left office, that was not one of the things that was listed. And that speaks more to where the country was versus Truman's leadership. And I think we're experiencing the same thing right now. The media is ignoring all of the wonderful things and the positive effects that Obama has had on the lives of LGBT people in America and beyond. And it's going to be looked at in 20 years, like how could they have missed that? What bubble are these folks in to not understand that <clears throat> he has advanced the civil rights of LGBT people like, you know, um, Truman helped advance and Lyndon Johnson and the Kennedys helped advance um, rights for African Americans in this country. And, that, and you can't mention those, you can't mention those presidents without saying that. And, but we don't seem to be saying that right now about President Obama and LGBT rights. I would say a little bit of good news then in that ABC News has a, an article on their website today on the Obama legacy, a promise of hope, and it lists, I think, 15 different uh, things for which they think he will be remembered, and LGBTQ rights definitely are one of them. Why don't we go through some of these these achievements? Because it's one of those things where once they're ha they happen, sometimes we take them for granted, and and this you know where we are today is so different from where we were in 2008. So highlight some of these. Well, you know, let's just start with election night. Um, obviously, I had worked diligently on the Obama campaign for LGBT issues, but I was living in San Diego, California, and so the night that he got elected was the night that Prop 8 passed, and so. Um, that was a situation where I was elated that we had our first African-American president and elated that I thought uh, it was, he was going to be a president that advanced right, uh, LGBT rights. But at the end of the day, it was also the day that they took marriage equality <clears throat> excuse me, away from Californians. So it was, you know, one of those nights that you're like, 
I'm sort of happy, and then I'm really sad. And so that's how the Obama administration started, really, Mm -hmm. was with Prop 8, the largest um, state in California passing anti-marriage equality legislation. In fact, creating a, a set of citizens that had already gotten married that were in this sort of limbo, right? Because now they were, were saying that no marriages could go, no, marriages couldn't go forward anymore. So that sort of was the, you know, the entry into what was going to be the Obama administration. So through a variety of things um, over eight years, you know, here we sit and we have marriage equality, obviously, in the nation. Um, and of course, Obama can't, the Obama administration can't take full credit for that. But they refuse to defend the Defense of Marriage Act. Mm-hmm. And by beginning to not defend that from a federal government perspective, because he felt it was unconstitutional, we moved slowly towards what eventually happened. And lots of organizations within our community also worked on it. And, um, you know, so we moved, you know, Chad Griffith, you know, worked with some folks and we ended up at the Supreme Court and we got marriage equality. But the fact that the federal government was not, um, you know, uh, defending this Defense of Marriage Act was a really great thing to help move marriage equality forward. Of course, before that, you know, in 2010, um, he actually, in December, you know, almost, it's been almost, it's been just over six years, uh, December 22nd um, of 2010, we got the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Mm-hmm. Before and we move on to Don't Ask, Don't Tell stamp, I, I did want to bring up something um, that, it, you know, I think is huge, it's tremendous, but also symbolic. And aside from, you know, the facts, this is what President Obama did for marriage equality, there's something that he also said that became very symbolic in kind of turning the tide as far as like social attitudes and acceptance of marriage equality itself. And that was the point in which he publicly admitted, you know, that at one point in his life he was not supportive of marriage equality, but had evolved on his position. And I think that what that had done was kind of trigger and or became, you know, leadership for so many others. Uh, It paved the way for so many others to also evolve um, and where, you know, where we're at today. We are a lot more accepted, if you will, than we were back in even 2008. Would you say that? Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and that evolution um, is, you know, um, in my estimation, I, I always considered that a political evolution. That's right. Um, meaning, you know, you have to understand what's actually going on um, from a political standpoint when you're running for office. And so I'm not suggesting that uh, the president didn't evolve on that issue. He did. Um, but uh, politically, in particular, he evolved on the issue. Um, and he, you know, the president is a very, very, very smart man. Uh, and so he understands what is necessary to get things done sometimes. And so I don't. I'm not trying to say that he was disingenuous at all, but that evolution um, re- related to a lot of people, because you know a lot of folks had to evolve on this issue. Unfortunately, um, there's still some 
people who have a little bit of evolution to make <laughs> right. uh, in this country. But yes, that was a, a pivotal right. moment um, in terms of LGBT rights when he made that statement. Exactly. Let's take a quick break right here, but when we come back, we'll continue our conversation and we'll go down the long list, the long list, the incredible list of, of uh the advancement of civil rights for LGBTQ people that President Obama has has led and has done for us. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue the Michelle Miao Show with Stamp Corbin. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, January 10th. <laughs> There's just a few days more to go. And so some of you are call, you know, calling it doomsday. But when President-elect Donald Trump actually gets inaugurated, congrats and awesome job to all of those who are organizing and doing a bunch of stuff around the inauguration. And to even the musicians who are <laughs> boycotting the inauguration and have refused to perform. This is such an interesting time in American political history. Our guest today on the phone is Stamp Corbin, and uh, we're kind of reviewing the legacy of President uh, Obama. I should say, though, that, uh, Stamp, we should go back and talk about the fact that you had met this incredible family, President Obama, Michelle Obama. You went to high school with Michelle Obama. Yeah, she was a freshman. I was a senior, so I always, everyone's like, did you know her? I said, no, she knew me. (laughs) <laughs> I was the senior. She was the freshman. So, you know, we, uh, she uh, and I grew up in the same neighborhood in Chicago as well. So, And, and that was a very progressive high school, especially at, uh, back in the, what was it, early 70s, mid-70s? Yeah, it was uh, mid-70s, mid to late 70s. I graduated high school in 78. Uh, Michelle graduated in 81. And um, so... 
we had openly gay students um, in the late 1970s. I wasn't one of them. I didn't come out until the day after graduation from high school, but everyone knew, assumed I was gay, I should say. Um, and so, but we had openly gay students um, at the school in 1976, 77, 78. So um, it was a very progressive uh, school. And so, you know, these kinds of things, I, you know, while I couldn't it, it, uh, predict exactly what Michelle might think about those things, she went to a high school that embraced um, all of those kinds of things. It was a performing arts high school and a academic high school. So you had all of these people, you know, who have gone on to do great things in performing arts. For example, the Wyckowski sisters, who used to be the Wyckowski brothers, who did Matrix and all of that, they went to our high school as well, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, you know, Tanya Pinkins, who's a Tony Award-winning um, actress. She went to our high school. She was there actually with Michelle and I. Um, so it it was an act. And then you had people who went to Stanford and Harvard and Princeton, and it was just sort of that's the expectation um, at Whitney Young. And so um, it was quite a progressive uh, place. And mixing, you know, folks who are h- hardcore academics with folks who are hardcore, you know, um, arts. Uh, was an interesting concept, and it works very well. And when did you first meet Barack Obama? I didn't meet him officially until probably it was late 2006 mm-hmm. or early 2007. I can't remember exactly. I um, was uh, the chair of the finance committee for, oh gosh, seven years for the human rights campaign during okay. the time when we were building the building and all of that. And so I am, have, have always been very active with HRC. And so I went to see him, and um, he, I met with one of his, uh, his actually Senate lawyer, Michael Strutmanis, and we met, and I said, I want to work on the campaign. And he's like, okay, great. This, I mean, this is when he had barely announced, okay, mm-hmm. and so that he was going to be uh, running. And so... I went in, and uh, they asked me, well, what is it that you want to work on? And I said, I want to work on LGBT issues. And I think they were, I mean, Michael was very shocked. And so I, um, we had a conversation, and then as we were leaving, who walks up? It's Barack Obama. And he says, hi, who are you? And I said, I'm Stan Corbin, and I, I want to volunteer for your campaign, and this is the kind of stuff that I've done, and I want to work on LGBT issues. And we had a nice chat, and I told him I went to high school with his wife and all of that. And then he walks away from me, and then he turns around and he said, make him head of LGBT issues for the campaign. And that's how, I, that's how it happened. <laughs> that's great. Well, yeah. so all of these things that have happened under his administration, in his administration, during his administration that have been positive for LGBTQ folks – the the danger, of course, is that some of them can be undone by the Trump-Pence administration, right? They can either, whether it's actually changing a rule or a law or regulation or just not enforcing. I'm wondering, what do you think uh, Barack and Michelle Obama and, and other alum, uh, alumni of, of the, the Trump, uh, excuse me, the Obama administration, what do you think they can and will do out of office to defend this legacy? Well, I, 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 I think there's 
some worry about certain things, but now that marriage equality has happened, there's certain, and you know, so spouse is defined mm-hmm. as now, you know, nationally as it could be a same sex spouse, it could be uh, opposite sex spouse. That prevents a lot of things from being changed. Um, in, in, you know, the myriad of codes and regulations within the federal government around those kinds of things. So, you know, what is going to be on the forefront and what I think we're going to need um, President Obama's help on and leadership on is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Right. There's already in Congress um, the idea that uh, Vice President Pence and his ilk are going to bring forward a national equivalent of the Re- uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which basically says that um, you don't have to, if it's against your religion, you don't have to provide services to LGBT folks. And um, if you remember several years ago, um, that he tried to get that passed in Indiana, and it actually was passed in Indiana, and he signed it, and then the backlash from the NCAA and all of the corporations who were threatening to pull out made him rewrite the law, and he claimed, oh, I I never was trying to hurt LGBT people. It it was misunderstood. But now there's, um, uh, I've already heard that there's, um, you know, legislation being drafted to try to bring that to a national level, um, some form of that uh, with respect to um, religious freedoms, and and we're always part of that conversation. Uh, and so um, that's where I think um, the the story is going to go. Not trying to you know um, chink away at or or chip away at at those things that can't be changed because once a spouse is defined as a man or a woman, mm-hmm. um, opposite sex or same sex, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do uh, unless you want to write discrimination into the law that says a spouse is not no longer defined as that. Because right. that's what all of the legislation and all of the regulations always use the word spouse. So. You're listening to the Michelle Miao Show. I'm Michelle Miao, of course, and John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. He co-hosts on Tuesdays. Our special guest on the phone is Stamp Corbin, and we're going through President Obama's incredible legacy in advancing civil rights for the LGBTQ community. So we've mentioned marriage equality. We've mentioned don't ask, don't tell. Uh, you know, a lot of other. <laughs> there's a long list actually that Stamp well, transgender is transgender relationships tra- for, uh, protections for kids in schools. I mean that. Hugely important. Exactly. And uh, but but to stay on, you know, the discussion, John, that you and Stamp brought up is just how much of this progress can the Trump Pence administration reverse? I mean, let's just throw this out there already. I mean, LGBT appointments. I'm not sure anybody who's been appointed by President Obama. They're all being asked to leave. Um, is what I'm reading. And so I don't think that there will be any further appointments unless you're a billionaire. (laughs) <laughs> right. or super rich I mean, I, right i mean we had i, I think we had uh, I, I don't know exactly the number i'm thinking it's six or seven ambassadors um actually it's six ambassadors lgbt ambassadors 
Um, and all of the LGBT, all of the ambassadors are being asked to leave their post immediately upon inauguration day. So we're going to go, you know, the six openly gay ambassadors, you know, there was Australia, which was John Barry. There was James Rooster, who's Dominican Republic. There's Rufus Gifford, who's Denmark. Um, there is uh, Spain, was James Costas, and Vietnam, Ted Osius, and then... Um, there's this organization, which I never quite understood, Ambassador to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, and that was Daniel Bayer. And so those were the LGBT ambassadors that um, um, most are still in their sp um, spots, and so they will all be gone instantaneously on January 20th. I mean, Obama really uh, appointed quite a few folks um, and 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 really led on the issue of LGBT appointments based upon merit. And he even appointed the first transgender person. Um, and so it is um, uh, to a position, a major position within the government. So it has really been quite a, you know, uh, honeymoon period for LGBT rights under um, President Obama. And, you know, things that we take for, uh, you know, things that we take for, granted, like appointments, as you just said, Michelle, are some of the things that are, you know, being seen and being a leader within the government uh, and being openly LGBT helps to change hearts and minds and, and things like that. I mean, you know, during the Obama administration, you can look at on television, we have how many openly LGBT newscasters now? Prior to the Obama administration, that wasn't happening. But now people, because of marriage equality and because of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and because of you know LGBT appointees and creating an environment where people can be open, more and more people are open. Yeah. And and when more and more people, you know, Harvey Milk said it best, come out, come out, right? That's the best thing that you can do. Um, but Obama... And the Obama administration has created this environment. And people seem to, t you know, I don't want our community to take it for granted what he's done over the last eight years. Well, and certainly, they, he, certainly they can't. I mean, just with, as we saw with, you know, electing the first African-American president, there has been a huge backlash on racial issues. Um, I think what we're seeing with the spread of the across the South, these religious restoration, uh, religious freedom restoration discrimination acts, um, you know, we're getting a, a reaction to that. So it's, it is, I think what you're, you're talking about is all very important that people realize what has been done and what they need to continue fighting for. Correct. Because at the, at the end of the day, um, while, while we have marriage equality and that, I doubt, can be overturned, it, it could be overturned by a new Supreme Court, but it's going to be 25 years from now if that were to happen. Um, so we have certain rights, but there are other things that they can do. You know, a, a Religious Freedom Restoration Act, a national one, could say that they, people could discriminate against LGBT people. Um, and that is, is just not something that, um, you know, we want to see happen. You know, that's the hope. I don't want to bake your cake. I don't want you to have your wedding at my private facility. I don't, you know... That's, you know, sort of the new frontier, right? Uh, and then, of course, the transgender community is um, going to be attacked 
they're already being attacked with the North Carolina bathroom bills. Those are the kind of, that's the new frontier that we're going to be fighting um, uh, upon. And so we need to be conscious of that and ready to, to take that on because we have been lulled into complacency <laughs> because, you know, I mean, he's just done, President Obama's done so much, but some of it can be overturned um, in terms of, you know, when he issues guidance, you know, for expanding the Civil Rights Act, well, and including gender identity and transgender mm-hmm. status, that's guidance um, from the Department of Justice, but that's not really the law. So if Obama comes in and has, I mean, I'm sorry, if Trump comes in and has a different perspective, that can go away. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the things that he's done for transgender have not, uh, our, our transgender people um, has not been made into law. Mm-hmm. Their executive orders or their guidance, and right. it's really the um, opinion of the um, um, it's really the opinion of the administration versus something that it has more meat to it. Stamp, one last question for you before we let you go, and thank you so much for joining us and uh, and, and reminding us that we did have some good times, and, and this is the fight that's, that's you know, worth fighting for. These are the advancements that are worth fighting for. Um, my question to you, my last question to you is, do you think President Obama and even, you know, First Lady Michelle Obama, uh, do you think that they'll continue with this fight with us um, even after President Trump takes office? You know, I, I, I believe that, you know, the quote from President Obama, which I always like to, to say, is, you know, he, he said very early, every single American, gay, straight, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, every single American deserves to be treated equally in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of our society. It's a pretty simple proposition. And I think that if we engage him um, as he... You know, he's 54 years old, um, and so he is going to um, have a long career, much longer than Jimmy Carter, um, ahead of him um, if, if, you know, things go as, as expected. And so he's going to have a lot of things that he can lend his voice to, and I think the Democratic Party right now is hoping that he's going to lend his voice into figuring out how to um, get the Democratic Party back together in terms of, um, you know, the coalition that he built. And LGBT people are a a big part of that coalition. So I think if we engage him, he will engage on our issues continuing going forward, because I believe he knows that that's going to be his legacy. Uh, or or a major part of his legacy, the civil rights for LGBT people. And those, when you advance uh, civil rights for folks, those are the kinds of things that when looked back upon, you you really are showing leadership. Truman mm-hmm. showed leadership. Mm-hmm. Lyndon Johnson gets all the credit for leadership. The Kennedys get credit for leadership on African-American issues. And 20 years from now, when people look back and start evaluating uh, with some perspective, the presidency of Barack Obama, it's going to be all about us. Mm-hmm. Trust me. 
Stamp, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And thank you for reminding oh. us that, you know, we, we did do some incredible things in this last eight years. And those all those things are worth fighting for. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me, Michelle, and uh, really nice meeting you, John, and thanks so much. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue the show, and we'll also hear from people who feel very passionate in telling their story about why defunding Planned Parenthood will be costly and will have consequences. So do not go away. We'll be right back. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, January 10th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and here with us in studio because it's Tuesday because it's the it's my, my most favorite day of the week. <laughs> um, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here co-hosting with me. And uh, we just wrapped the first half of the show in giving a general overview of President Obama's legacy in terms of advancing the civil rights of the LGBTQ community. It's crazy to me because we just spent half an hour and we didn't even get through everything. That's right. And that's just specifically talking about the LGBTQ community. And I'm sure that if we threw a softball question out there to everyone, to all Americans, you know, what are you most proud of or what do you remember in terms of what President Obama has done for this country, we all can recite a few things. We're going to continue the show on. I thought John was going to have a comment or two about that, but that's okay. (laughs) On the phone with us, as I uh, promised, the second half is we're just kind of going to walk through, you know, what Planned Parenthood has done for the community, for women, for, you know, women's health. And I think it's important to kind of give this personal perspective of how Planned Parenthood has impacted an individual person's life because so many people are weighing in in terms of defunding Planned Parenthood. And I'm finding that these people who are talking about defunding Planned Parenthood 
have never even used a Planned Parenthood or had even considered that that was a need or a necessity for them. And so one of the articles that I read just yesterday had talked about the consequences if we were to defund Planned Parenthood and the number one community and or segment of our country that it would directly impact right away would be women of color, would be women in low-income neighborhoods, and also people who really don't have access to things like, you know, a clinic or resources for planning, you know, family. So it would have an adverse impact on America in general because when you don't have those resources, things just start happening that we don't want to. And it would be a much bigger drain on taxpayers, by the way. And so here with us, and I'm so thankful for that, for, for, for everyone who responded to me who's willing to share their stories, is a good friend of mine whom I've known for a really long time who can articulate, you know, the, the consequences of the defunding of Planned Parenthood. And that good friend of mine is Maria Gomez. Maria, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So we just kind of list, you know, generally just what would happen if we defunded Planned Parenthood. It would impact um, the most vulnerable of our country, and that would be the most vulnerable women of our country. I wanted to just kind of open up, you know, this discussion by telling a personal story from your point of view. You know, what has Planned Parenthood done for you? Um, you know, growing up in a low-income family and not having, you know, insurance or health care, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard because once you're on your own and you want to seek some sort of health care or, you know, preventive, you know, health care, that's really the only resources that I personally had. So when I was out of my own home and, you know, out of my own, I had no health insurance. And when you first start getting a job, that's the first thing that you want to think about. And so for me, that was my first to-go place. Um go there for, you know, any physical checkup, anything that you may need. And it's very on a donation basis. So they're mm-hmm. not asking, you know, it's it's provided for the community. So it's it's how to explain it. It's it's one of the best things that ever happened to me and a mm-hmm. lot of friends of mine. Mm-hmm. And I think without it and it being, you know, not funded anymore, it's going to affect millions of people like myself, mm-hmm. like people that outgrow the foster care system and they are no longer under Medi-Cal Medi- and they go under Medicaid. And it's, it's, it's just going to crush a lot of people. It's going to let them, you know, hold back from seeing a physician or hold back from getting checkups. And for me, it was, it, it was very hard to hear that it's, it's, we're probably not going to have it anymore because when you are going from job to job or you lost your job so you lost your health benefits, that is the one, one place that we can count on. And it just really breaks my heart that a lot of us are not going to have those options anymore. That if we're going through hard times or we can't afford health care and this is the only place that we can turn to, it's no longer going to be there or it's no longer going to be funded for us to be able to, you know, seek sources or seek help or seek whatever we may need. So it's, it's very heart-crushing, and it's very, you know, sensitive to me because, you know, once again, if, if we don't have it, I can't, I can't go there anymore. Do you have any suggestions for folks, not just people in your situation, but other people who want to not see this happen, uh, this defunding that the Republicans in Congress are already drawing up plans for? Um, what, what can people do? I mean, should, should they be contacting their, their representatives or, or, or what? I mean, any, any idea? Um, definitely. I, I think we can, you know, we can start contacting, you know, our representatives or, and, and, you know, 
speak out. Yeah. Speak out because we need it. Right. And it's just not for women in general. It's for everybody. Everybody in low income, you know, everybody that can't afford um, regular health insurance or their their employment doesn't offer health insurance. This is the one place they can go to. You know, mm-hmm. I see men, teens, women, older women, you know, people of all colors, all nationalities, all backgrounds seek help there. Mm-hmm. So we need to speak mm-hmm. up. We need to stand together and let them know that they, they can't do this. They can't defund, you know, a resource that is helping millions. Helping right. millions, and it's, you know, it's supporting. It's supporting us in many ways. Let, Maria, let's talk about, you know, from like a geographical uh, location perspective, uh, a lot of the clinics that Planned Parenthood has uh, resources and people who have access to them are in places, um, like I said, you know, it, it, that reaches a community that may not have, like what you said, you didn't have, you know, health insurance. Um, and that's that's really the core of the people who go to see Planned Parenthood. Uh, I'm also thinking about young women. And in places like Texas, for example, when you defund Planned Parenthood or you don't have enough, you know, clinics and whatnot um, from, you know, the one of the arguments has been from a religious perspective. And I think that you can speak to this uh, ha- having grown up in um, a, a Latino family, you know, that 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 there's there's everybody has a say in what women should be doing with their bodies. Um, and then they'll use, you know, kind of religion to ju- to justify that. That we don't need a Planned Parenthood if you say, for example, just abstain from sex altogether. What are the dangers? And had you ever experienced, you know, something like this to where the justification just simply doesn't make sense? And I mean, I, I think that coming out and speaking about it for, as as a woman, as a woman of color, and and someone who grew up in the Latino community, it's very important to note this that abstention is not the answer and <laughs> the justification to defund Planned Parenthood. No, I, you know, I totally agree because I was just having that same conversation with my oldest daughter. And the thing is coming from a, you know, like a Hispanic community and, you know, my background, being raised Catholic, you're not supposed to use any sort of, you know, contraceptive and, and just be able to have all these children. But, it's my body, and if I'm not ready to have that child, I think I have every right, and I think every woman out there has that right, and Planned Parenthood gives you that right, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it helps you. So, I mean, it's it's very, um, I don't think it just should be based on the, the religion per, purpose, that, you know, they're defunding it because they believe their beliefs. I don't think that it should only be because, you were either raped or you were, you know, it's a, it's a medical emergency or whatever they think should be their right to approve either an abortion or a miscarriage or whatever it may be. I think it's our body and our body, we, we should be in charge of that. Mm-hmm. We should be in charge of when we are ready, when we're not ready. And Planned Parenthood offers the, 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 the way of not getting pregnant, offering medication for that, but as well as you know, if we're not ready, we're just not ready. Why bring another child into this world when we're not ready to provide or support that child? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just going to be, you know, it shouldn't be about the religion. It should be about what we women feel that is right for us. Right. And that we should, we have that right. And that's what I'm saying. We need to speak up and let them know that it's not about that religion. It's not about what they believe should be right or wrong. 
Right. So here's the thing. You mentioned earlier you didn't have health care. And so having access to Planned Parenthood was really important to you uh, as a woman. And I've talked to other women who said they didn't need Planned Parenthood because they had health care. Well, the interesting thing about this administration is that they want to repeal you know, the Affordable Care Act, which has given millions of Americans access to health care and also defund Planned Parenthood. And so in my opinion, that would mean that they really, 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 really dislike women to the point where <laughs> we want to take away health care and we want to take away your access to, um, you know, uh, services for women. So my question to you, and you mentioned earlier, you have a daughter, you have, you have daughters, you have more than one daughter. I mean, to think about that, the fact that they would grow up in a, a country or a time in which they did not have access to health care nor services for their bodies, uh, you know, what are your feelings about that? How scary is that thought? That is pretty scary, and that's the reason I said, you know, we were having that conversation this morning because I'm glad and I'm thankful that Planned Parenthood has been there for me from the very beginning of me finding out. I mean, and it's not just about, you know, being there when you need it. I mean, Planned Parenthood is very dedicated to women's needs, extremely dedicated. So for me, if one of my daughters was not to be, you know, wasn't able to have health insurance or their, you know, whatever employer, whatever it may be, I want them to have a resource to go to. And unfortunately, you know, if the way keeps going, the things keep going the way they're going and they don't have that resources, it's going to be heartbreaking because where else can they go? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to reach out to a resource? No. Are they going to be able to, you know, speak their mind? I mean, I, I don't understand why women are always the ones that are being targeted for everything. You know, cut our budgets, don't give us rights, and everything. It's our bodies. Let us do what we want with our bodies. And let us, you know, just be us and take care of us. But it, it, it's hard. It's hard when you're when all the resources that are out there are being demolished by manpower. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, and I'm not saying every man is the same, but it's just all these politicians and all these, you know, people are just, you know, creating it even harder, making our world a little bit harder for us to actually find resources to take care of us. Right. And we've we've fought so hard already, and we continue to fight. So I just say, you know, let's stick together and let's keep, you know, raising our voices and see if we can be heard. And, you know, hopefully our Planned Parenthoods won't be shut down. The one I live close by, it's already shut down. The city I used to live in, you know, Planned Parenthood has been shut down. I mean, it's, it's, it's already getting around, and it's hard because when I don't have health insurance, I can no longer go there. I have to go to a different city and drive about 50 miles away just to go to a Planned Parenthood that is still open. Right. So it's pretty hard. It's pretty scary, you know, to know that my girls may not have that option. Maria, I want to thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us and just sharing your personal story. I hope that that gives uh, people some perspective. If you're on the fence or you're thinking this isn't a big deal, it is a huge deal as what you would be taking away from millions of, of, of Americans would be access and the right to live a healthy life. And Maria, thank you so much for being a strong voice for your girls. I think that that's what we need to keep doing. Thank you so much, Michelle. Don't go away when we come back. John Zipper and Anna and Anna and Anna and Anna. <laughs> We're getting near the end of the show, and I need more coffee. So don't go away. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, 
Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do. Especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this uh, Tuesday, January 10th. I'm so happy, so excited to be back in studio and to be doing this with John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, who's here in studio with us. I can do this with you every single day, by the way. It doesn't have to be Tuesdays. Oh, that'll be fun. I mean, it, I, don't, I hope it's coming across uh, on the radio because... Uh, Michelle is re-energized. It's it's fun to see you. <laughs> I am re-energized, but with positive thoughts and also, you know, what I want to do is just kind of give everyone a, a little bit of everything. I was talking about this with um, a producer, uh, a person who's interested in being my content producer, but I don't want to be exclusively LGBTQ content. I want to uplift, you know, voices of our community and those who are doing the incredible work to advance, you know, our rights and who will be joining in this very interesting time in 2017. I also do want to criticize, you know, those who are trying to take away the progress that we've made or those who are directly involved in things like racism and sexism and discrimination in general. Um, So you'll get the perspective of, of, I think, everything. And I really want to hit the uh, heart of what I mean when I say it is your A through Z covering your, uh, the LGBT, LM, NOP, and everyone in between show. And then we're going to add, you know, some cool, neat little things that John has volunteered to do, such as news and or, you know, this idea that we could uh, let you know what else is happening or what else is going on that you can get involved in, right? Oh, that and our new Paint by Numbers Flemish Paintings Kit that we're going to do every <laughs> Wednesday, I think. <laughs> going to be a little hard to do over the radio, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not all of our ideas will flesh out. Maybe that's one we'll drop. Um, I think being positive also helps us from a mental perspective. I mean, I hit a very depressed state once the election results came out. Uh, again, um, I, 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 I still emotionally feel attached to Hillary Clinton. I'm over here thinking, like, I just want to give her a hug. I'm sure of it. That, um, you know, she might emotionally still also be clinging on to that that moment in which she had to concede to President-elect Donald Trump. But at the same time, I have I also have this feeling that, uh, you know, she's doing she's probably doing things um, already or, or kind of still has her foot in the door. Well, you know, the big rumor in New York is that she's going to run for New York mayor. Now, apparently she's not going to, but. There are a lot of people talking about it, 
and Politico.com has an article today uh, kind of asking, so why isn't she shooting down the rumors? And their argument, or their their claim is that it's because she actually kind of enjoys seeing current mayor uh, Bill de Blasio twist in the wind because there's some bad blood between them. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, she apparently is in a stage where she is kind of looking around, okay, she wants to stay involved. And she knows she doesn't have a n- national political role in her future. But, uh, you know, she's not going to go home and really knit and shovel snow. You don't think a uh, big guy president like Donald Trump would want Hillary Clinton lurking around the White House? <laughs> well, you know, when it was announced that uh, she and Bill Clinton were going to attend the inauguration and there were mm-hmm. a few folks who were kind of wagging their, their fingers. and Oh, they shouldn't do that. I actually think it's a good move because part of what they're saying is this inauguration, this office, the presidency is not yours Donald Trump. It right. is ours. It is everybody's. And therefore, yes, we are going to be there because as much as we didn't want this to happen, you mm-hmm. know, uh, this is our presidency that you're taking. Well, it's literally her presidency that he's taking, but <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the people's presidency. And uh, I, I think it will be interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Now, Bill and Hillary both will be ungagged, mm-hmm. you know, Bill Clinton wasn't going to criticize Obama when he was president. He was kind of muted in his criticism of George W., mm-hmm. both because usually you, you don't do much criticism of the person who immediately follows you. But secondly, the Clintons and the uh, Bushes, strangely, have kind of developed this pretty good friendship. I mean, like literally go to, you know, the the Georgian and uh, uh uh, Barbara Bush ranch or whatever, and, and they hang out and they're, right. you know, they're genuinely friends. Um, there's not that with the Trumps. And um, I, especially because also there isn't a national, you know, she's not mm-hmm. going to run another national campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I suspect she will find some role, some organization to run. Um, I don't know if it's going to be political. Mm-hmm. Could she run for governor mm-hmm. of New York when that opens up? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, She's not going to, you know, just sit by quietly. And I, I think that's all to the better. And and as our first guest, uh, Stamp Corbin, pointed out, Barack Obama's leaving office pretty young. Right. And, uh, you know, look at what Bill Clinton has done since he left office, also pretty young. You know, the Clinton Foundation and helping millions and millions of people with medicine and other things. Look what Jimmy Carter did, leaving office even a bit older, uh, but still, you know, has helped millions and has been very brave. I think we're going to see some... We're, we've definitely not heard the last of Democrats uh, oh, of course not. during the next yeah. eight, four to eight or yeah. forever if, if he doesn't give up power. So I, f- I felt really uh, privileged and honored and lucky to have attended Nancy Pelosi's um, New Year's party on Sunday. Oh, wait a minute. Do tell. Yeah. Um, I, I was very excited and I got, you know, I got a, f- a photo with her and she shook my hand and she knew who I was and said, thank you, you know, for all that I've done. And all I've done is really throw an incredible party for San Francisco and the LGBTQ community. And that is San Francisco pride. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but I will, I will, uh, brag that it is the largest outdoor event west of the Mississippi. And that happens in San Francisco and has contributed over $300 million to the economy here locally in San Francisco. So I guess it is a pretty big deal. Um, But anyway, you know, she had a lot to say. I mean, a lot of it was focused on the Affordable Care Act and really motivating um, a lot of those political leaders who had attended her New Year's party 
to stay focused on fighting back because of, you know, the importance of keeping the Affordable Care Act. There's no there's no alternative plan to even if you were to repeal it, they don't have a backup plan. They don't really have a solution. Right. Keep it intact until somebody actually has a plan. Um, one place you might want to go online if you're leaving Facebook for a while is to a website called theworldisaterribleplace.com. They have a whole section called Oh, crap, what now? A survival guide for the Trump years. <laughs> and uh, though the title is, is funny, it actually has, has lots and lots of different sections with organizations to support uh, how to defend the environment, the legal system, and you, health, and all, the, all of these things. Um, it, it's actually worth a good look. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on The Michelle Miao Show. We're here Monday through Friday. 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club hosts his show, which is the week-to-week roundtable political talk on Fridays, 4 o'clock here on the Michelle Miao Show. For everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com. We'll see you tomorrow.